0: This is a crowd podcast.
1: So let me ask you the hardest question. Okay. You're out hiking and your daughters are taken. Somebody sees you and snatches your daughters up. Honest to God, what's going to be your first option? What are you going to do first, Sam? You can dial 911 you can dial me. I know this is going against everything that you've been taught and raised your entire life and your soul. I can see it in your face right now because every moral value you've ever been taught, your internal organs right now are saying, the police would take too long. And you don't wanna say that because you're on the radio. And I understand that, Sam, so you don't have to say anything because I can see your face right now. And I've seen it on many, many people throughout my life. And I feel your pain and I care about you
0: this is it possibly the last time i'll ever speak to casey and i don't know what you're hoping for in this final episode a twist a big reveal the concrete evidence that pieces the whole puzzle together well i can't give you that i can give you some answers but more questions a lot more questions from me and him.
1: Has your perspective changed about me from the beginning to now?
0: And I'll tell you what I think about KC.
1: I want to hear your soul.
0: About DD. When I think of him, I think of my hero. And about what I believe right now. But before this final conversation, all I've been thinking about is DD. You don't forget a conversation like that. And something has been eating away at me. And if I've only got one episode left, let's hit the ground running. I'm Sam Walker, and this is American Vigilante, episode 12. What do we think? Do you know, I've obviously thought so much about everything we've talked about. And you know, I've come back to you with questions that were kind of playing on my mind that I've been thinking about. And I was thinking today a lot about our conversations a couple of weeks ago. And there's just this thing that I haven't been able to get out of my head. And so I just wanted to ask you. Yes, ma'am. Straight question. Is Dee Dee your daughter?
1: No. I uh, I met their father probably, I don't know, eight or nine times over a three-year period before that incident happened. So he knew who I was, but we weren't like friends. I would go see my dad's best friend, and Didi's Dee father ran the whole facility for him. So he was like the brains behind everything. My dad's best friend's business was, I mean, it was suffering. And this is a worldwide business. This is a big deal. Yeah, it, uh... It was affecting a lot of things and that's why he reached out to me but i love those three kids like they're my own and that's the truth i i watched them grow up from little kids to full adults and the the paths that they took on their own and the people they became was their doing they could have let that shatter them they could have used a million excuses that so many people use but instead every one of them Turned in excuse me, but turned into one hell of a person. That makes me proud that, that I didn't find three people that became, you know, dregs of society. So it yeah. They're they're incredible people. I hope you have peace over all that because I'm I honestly feel terrible about how how that affected you.
0: I hadn't realized that her dad was also there with you when you rescued them.
1: Yeah, I I made a a big exception there. He begged me to go, begged me. And I was just like, shit. But he never went into, into the houses at all. He was in the back of the truck, and they were all, you know, really pretty much asleep when I got them. But when their eyes opened, he was the first thing that they saw was their dad.
0: How is she since we spoke? She's doing wonderful.
1: Really, really doing well, actually.
0: Was she okay afterwards because she was obviously understandably really upset?
1: Oh, yeah. It ruffled up for a little bit, but that was it. I mean, it was a very short thing. It's, it's long behind her and the the emotions of, of bringing that back for that short period was that. But she's, she's got a really happy life right now and, you know, nothing sways her from that. So she actually went right back into her rhythm and was just fine.
0: How is it for you? Because you were sitting there with her as she was telling that story.
1: You feel helpless. It's, it's hard. It's very hard. All I could do was tell her that I loved her and feel like a complete scumbag for even, even wanting to know if she'd be willing to talk. But she was the one that jumped all over it right in the beginning. So I was like, well, if you really want to, she's like, yeah. Did talking to her impact your thoughts? on how you would deal with the situation if you were in the same position as her family from two months ago to now.
0: I don't know if it did. What did change was how I felt about you. Before I spoke to Dee Dee, if it turned out that you were the world's greatest storyteller and you had made all of this up, I would have felt pissed off.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I would have felt pissed off that you had wasted my sweet time. But then I would have thought, you know what? It's been quite entertaining.
1: You would have hired me to read <laughs> stories, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I've learned some things. I've heard some tales, you know, and that's probably where I would have settled. But after speaking to Dee, if it turned out you're making all this up. I realized I'd feel betrayed. Because everything about the conversation with Dee deeply affected me on so many levels. Of course, I found it horrific, shocking, upsetting, unbearable. But to realise that this young woman was only reliving her horror, the worst moments of her life because of you. She wouldn't have ever told some random British woman about the worst moments of her life. But she did it for you. I got it, Casey. I got why you do this. What happened to the people who took those kids?
1: Gee, Sam, I don't know. Probably choked themselves or, I don't know, maybe they stepped in front of cars. I don't know. I I hope that all of them got whatever was due to them.
0: I want to go back to a story you told me a long time ago, The Wrong Suspects. It was back in episode two, and you talked about that man, and you said, all that anybody needs to know is that that man will never be a problem for anyone else's children ever again. And you know when you told me that, Casey? I left it at that. I didn't know you very well, but I know you better now. And I just wonder what did happen to that man. You murdered him, right?
1: No. God speaks to me and told me that he had changed his mind and he would never hurt anybody again. Who am I not to listen to God?
0: (laughs) Oof. What do we think? I don't know about you, but I think we've had enough of the gory details. So here's something that's a bit different. It's the sort of thing that leaves you screaming, no way, and come on, that's too much. In episode one, you'll remember the Mexican job. After KC and Forrest had both removed the bullets from each other in a shack in a border town, they fled into America with the help of a female police officer. And I wanted to know, what happened to her?
1: So this is where it gets kind of cool. We got up to a place at the border where we could cross. And she told me, she goes, you got to take me with you. And I'm like, I can't. She goes, you have to. She goes, they're going to kill me. She goes, I can't stay. She goes, I can contact my family from the U.S. And I looked at Forrest. Her and Forrest had some real continuity. And I don't mean just flirting. Like, they really had continuity. And Forrest said, let me talk to you. The Forrest and I went over there, I don't know, 20 feet away. And he said, Casey, I'm going to marry this woman. And I about fell over. I did. And I looked at him and I said, are you serious? And he goes, I'm dead serious. And I was like, okay. So we took her with us. Um, We smuggled ourselves across the border. We hiked into the inner part of the other city. Came upon the, the Chevy Tahoe that was sitting there waiting for us. And we loaded up and and went north. And uh, Forrest ended up marrying Maria. They've been married for for quite some time now.
0: I mean, that... Is a heck of a life change, isn't it? One moment, literally one moment, she's working as a police officer in a city in Mexico, and the next moment she's crossing a border with an African-American guy she's just met who she's seen shoot up various people.
1: And now she's a mom.
0: That's a day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, yep, and they did. They just completely fell in love. I mean, he was cooing to her the whole time I'm digging around his leg. He'd wince and whine a little bit and... She just kept putting her little hands on his, his face and looking him in the eyes. And that's what did it.
0: When we talked about your background, you told me you were a Comanche Indian. And then you told me that, in fact, you weren't a Comanche Indian.
1: Well, Sam, now damn it. You know, there's breadcrumbs that I'll leave that are actually true. And there's breadcrumbs that I'll leave that are true mostly.
0: So what else have you lied to me about?
1: I've just changed some locations and names. That's all. Like the CEO wasn't really the CEO. And, uh, you know, the Mexican job wasn't really in Mexico. And, you know, there's just some little tidbits. I've just changed some things to make sure that the compass kept pointing north.
0: So, is it to protect other people or protect yourself?
1: Well, both, of course. You know, I mean, I'm not an idiot. I mean, I'm sure that there's going to be investigations started about this stuff. I'm no fool. There's no statute of limitations on murder. Of course, you have never committed a murder, so it doesn't really matter. But, you know, there's going to be investigations. I'm not an idiot, and let them look. Let them look, because there's nothing. They will waste millions of tax dollars and find nothing.
0: What sacrifices have you had to make personally to do what you do?
1: There's times I've been away from my family for extended periods. My son was born and two and a half weeks later, I was gone for three weeks.
0: You left your wife when she'd just given birth to your son.
1: I delivered my son. To go
0: and... You delivered your son?
1: I've delivered my children, yes.
0: And yet you felt so strongly about going and helping these strangers because that's what they were that you left your family I just wanted to really explore the depth of that feeling
1: but they're not strangers they're Americans I dread the day that I can't do this anymore because I know somebody will pick up the torch but it'll be hard sitting on the sidelines and watching this (laughs) because you know you can have all the will in the world but if your body won't grant you the The ability, then, you got to be smart enough to step away so you don't get the people that you're trying to help hurt or the people that you love the most hurt.
0: You told me the first time we had a conversation that there were people who want you dead and that people who would do anything to see you die and that's why you protect your identity. What about if they hurt your family, though? Is that not a concern that that might happen?
1: I would hunt them down. I would kill them, their families burn down their house, and eat their dog. So you better cut my fucking head off, quarter my body, and scatter me to the winds, because you will never make it if you hurt me or mine. There's a lot of people out there that love me, and every one of them's got a gun. I go down, I guarantee you, the shit show that'll follow, you won't be able to stop it.
0: Am I going to get a knock on the door one day, do you think? The things you've told me.
1: Who knows? I mean, I don't think you got anything to worry about from any bad guys because you don't know me. I mean, you really don't. You've, you've talked to me across thousand miles on a computer. <laughs> so, you know, but, um, you know, if investigations start, maybe. But there's really nothing to investigate.
0: So what shall I tell them?
1: you tell them whatever you think i mean if if somebody approaches you to talk to you about me they're going to they're going to want your opinion your take on that you know so if you think i'm touched in the head then you should probably tell them that you think i'm touched in the head and if you you think i'm a, it's like that that one old gentleman that i raided those places and got rid of that huge massive fucking drug den and the cop showed up and he told him he's like that man did more in one night than you guys have done in the last five years you know I mean (laughs) tell them whatever you want but I don't abuse the gift that God has given me at least I don't feel I do I just do my very best to right wrongs and the only regret that I honestly have is that there's not a hundred of me
0: after the break I've got another thing that I want to share with you Perhaps a clue on how KC feels when he's talking to me. Back in a moment.
2: Hello there, I am Tom Fordyce and I'm one of the producers on American Vigilante. I do hope you're enjoying the series. Now, if you need a break from KC and you're feeling peckish, why not try Factors No Prep No Mess Meals? They're a great way to meet your wellness goals in time for the summer, if it ever arrives, with chef-crafted meals like Calories Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor always makes fresh meals, never frozen, they're dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes, and they taste really good. They’ve got loads of options from breakfast to dessert. There are 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week. Treat yourself to restaurant quality dishes with premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. But all without prep and the cleaning up. Head to factormeals.com/American50 and use code American 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code American50 at factormeals.com slash American50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month, while your subscription is active.
3: 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma.
0: A couple of episodes back, I mentioned that hesitation, sometimes noticeable in people who are lying, wasn't a trait that Casey had ever shown when speaking. And with his camera off, I've been listening out for any other clues or tells as they're known, which reveal how Casey is feeling at that moment. And apart from laughing and crying and, of course, breathing, there's just one I can hear. On several occasions, it sounds like KC is rubbing parts of his body.
1: They're talking more and more about it and how he's been hired to do the work and, you know, how they've met him and things like that.
0: It might be him rubbing his hands together or rubbing his face or neck.
1: It was late at night. I think it was round. No, it was in the morning. That's right. It was in the morning. It was a, what is that, comes on? Can't remember, it was some morning show.
0: Or perhaps it's the hairs on his arms I can hear slipping and sliding under his moving palms.
1: So I did. I, I snuck up the house and it's right around, I think, 10, 11 in the morning.
0: Now, I did a bit of research about body language and these I gather, and I am of course no expert, are a sort of pacifying exercise, a type of limbic response that us humans unconsciously make in a variety of ways to make ourselves feel nicer. When we're experiencing a sense of discomfort
1: and she says young man i don't have a lot of money she said but i'd like to invite you to dinner
0: significantly he's never done this during or after i've asked a question as you might have noticed in those clips it appears to only happen when he's being descriptive Sometimes a person.
1: And it wasn't her husband, but this guy was in a, a different color shirt, but I, I, I couldn't tell.
0: Or a time or place.
1: And I asked if they knew which way he went, and they kind of pointed. They said, well, we saw him drive that way.
0: Or an object.
1: The modifications to this are done so that it pretty much still just looks like a normal vehicle, other than it's it's slightly taller. It's got a little bit bigger tires on it.
0: Now, we cannot and should not conclude from this that he's telling lies, but simply that these memories or these descriptions for some reason make KC feel the need to self-soothe. It's not necessarily a big thing. They are awful stories to have to tell. And all day, every day, we're all communicating with our bodies in different ways. But it's something. On with the conversation before I tell him what I really think of him, I ask KC what he thinks I think of him.
1: Well, Sam, I don't know what you think about me, honestly. Um, if I had to form an opinion based upon the little I do know about you, I would think that you're kind of afraid of me. You're definitely afraid of, of people trying to contact you in regards to me because, you know, you're British and this is the U.S., I think that you hold a small amount of respect for me because even though you don't factually know that what I'm saying is not crap, your instincts as a mother and as a woman and as a reporter, your instincts tell you that at least a majority of the things I'm telling you are very factual. And I think you think I'm a incredibly raw person at times that probably shouldn't do some of the things that I do. How'd I do? Tell me.
0: Do you know what? I think conflicted is a word I would use if we're going to get real for a moment Mm. and talk about... I want you to be real. Feelings. Yeah. Conflicted.
1: So what did you think of me when you first met me, Sam? I mean, we've never met, but, you know, talking on a computer.
0: My first impressions of you was that you were super smart. There's you... And there's what you do <laughs> yeah and i see those as two separate things yeah. but as for what you do i think i'd give a different answer now than i would three months ago
1: well what would your answer have been three months ago
0: i fundamentally disagree with what you do
1: say that in english that was very politically correct i want to hear you
0: no, it wasn't i want
1: to hear correct. your no. soul
0: my absolute soul is that I fundamentally disagree with what you do. Okay, so there was I no thought in your head
1: like this guy's a fucking barbarian? No. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. Wow, you'd be like one of the first, but okay, that's good. <laughs> sorry yeah, no, about that. I've,
0: I've, I've never thought you are a barbarian. I'm frightened by what you do. I'm frightened by some of your behavior.
1: I've done something to scare you? It was never my intention.
0: You've done plenty of things <laughs> I find really scary.
1: You know, I'm gonna apologize for that, Sam. It's never been my intention to to scare you. I mean the stories are one thing, but me personally, uh that's that's the last thing I would ever want to do to you, honestly.
0: Well, you you haven't ever said anything to me that has I've felt threatened by or anything like that. I'm saying what you do, I find scary. The stories you have told, I find scary. But before you started telling me those stories, when I first met you, my first thoughts were, holy shit, is this guy for real? Really? Really? The first couple of weeks, Casey, I was spent dissecting every single thing you told me everything. And I was like, huh, that little thing doesn't quite add up. Now, is it because he's telling me about something that happened a decade ago? Is it because he's changing some of the facts because I know you're not giving me absolutely everything that happens at all times because you're super aware of not wanting to leave breadcrumbs? Or is it that he's making this shit up? And I've told you that before.
1: Oh, yeah. Has your perspective changed about me from the beginning
0: to now? Yes and no. I've got to know you, Casey. We joked about the fact that there were some months I think I talked to you more than I talked to my own husband during the week. We talked and talked and talked. There's nothing black and white about you. You're not one thing. You are. I don't buy this. I'm just a mountain, poor mountain boy. You know, I'm a dull mountain. I've, I've never bought that. I have never, ever bought that. I'm not doubting you were raised in the mountains of wherever the heck you were raised, but dumb is is not a word I would ever use to describe you. A lot of what you do makes more sense to me now than it did three months ago. In some ways, I completely understand you. In other ways, I don't understand you at all. And I think there's that space between heart and head when it comes to how I feel about you. Because as I said, there are things that you do I fundamentally disagree with, perhaps on an intellectual level. Or maybe I just wish you didn't have to exist. Casey, I know that every time you go on a job, you are faced with an individual. Tell me about the different types of, quote, bad guy that you come up against?
1: Bad guys are as diverse as the leaves on trees. And, you know, in today's society, using the term guy, that also means woman, female, because there's no difference. A bad guy's a bad guy. That's just the way it is. You've got bad guys that are the dregs of society. You know, they're criminals of opportunity. They're the bums you see on the street. And you've got bad guys that are Blue collar guys, you know, they'll work a job every day, eight, 10 hours a day. And, you know, they're doing something crazy and bad on the side. Then you got guys that are white collar criminals. They're scamming and skimming stocks and, you know, electronically robbing banks and people and credit cards. And, and you got bad guys that are just criminals only of opportunity. They will only strike somebody that they know is inferior or weak and and they'll never do it. They might go 10 years without doing anything wrong. But then all of a sudden something presents itself, and boom, they'll do it. And then you got people that are the military within the bad guys, the enforcers. They're the they're the tough guys, and they're just straight thugs. They're murderers. They're killers. You know, there's gangs out there. They've got these enforcers, and they're they're trained by special operations military from from other countries. There's a gang in the U.S. You know, it's called the MS Thirteen. Probably one of the most incredible forces in the united states they have their commanders they have their lieutenants they have their sergeants and they originally were created because you know people from central america were coming to the u.s as refugees what happened was the crips in the blood started praying raping the women beating up the old people stealing their groceries stealing their money well some of these refugees were former special operations el salvadorians and they got fucking pissed off and they put a group of them together, and they became enforcers, making sure that the El Salvadorans were protected in L.A. So, you know, you've got bad guys in there that are the elite. you got got bad guys that are the enforcers. You know, I, I would say that, that a lot of the more powerful bad guys are definitely narcissists. You know, you look at, at bad guys. Here, let me name off a few that I'm sure everybody in the world will know. The Green River Killer. Holy God. I was in school when, when the Green River Killer was doing this thing, and He was so cunning. And then uh, look at the the Zodiac killer. I mean, that man taunted police, and they still never caught him to this day. The man was obviously an intellectual, and and I know it was a man, just from my own research and studies. I would love to have had the opportunity to catch the Zodiac killer because I honestly think I could have caught him. But at that time, I was too young. I was a kid. Whenever we first talked, Sam, I mean, the very beginning of this months ago, you'd said when you first got here, you had a pretty rough experience, something about a landlord. And uh, I really don't know the intricate details of that. But yeah, I remember you saying that you were afraid and that you guys were really mistreated. So if that had happened to you over there in, in the UK, how would that have been handled by you?
0: How it would have been handled by me is I would have felt a lot less afraid. I would have felt more that I had rights. I would have felt that I could fight more.
1: What do you mean by that?
0: Well, someone threatening me with a gun wouldn't have happened in England. It wouldn't have happened. And if it did, it would have been so far off the scale, the police would have swooped in and gone, what the heck? But he took advantage of the fact that we were naive, that we were immigrants, and all of those things. It was awful.
1: You were approached from what I understand, by, by people that cared about you. Something that even in England might not have happened and, and you, were, you were made to feel better, from what I understand. What happened?
0: We were approached and told very clearly by somebody that we knew who knew somebody else. That they told this somebody else what had happened and that person knew someone else and said, if you want, say the word, And we'll make sure this guy isn't a problem for you or anybody else again. The phrase was, we could take him out into the desert.
1: And just for the record, that wasn't me, right?
0: That would have been a big old coincidence, but that was absolutely not you. But imagine if it had been. Uh, No, and and literally that's as far as the conversation went.
1: Right. But it made you aware that there was a different type of a culture here, so to speak, on a different level when it was needed. But then what were your thoughts?
0: huh, was the first thing that went through my head. And if we're going to talk real, I fantasize about that man getting his comeuppance because... Oh, yeah.
1: When it come to your kids, you bet the she-bear-in-you comes out that I knew well, was there. Well, I got my you kids out of that were... house
0: within 15 minutes. And I tell you, and I am not exaggerating, when someone I knew, I literally called and said, can you come and get my kids now? And I packed their bags and I got them out in 15 minutes because I didn't know if this guy was on the way. He was furious. He was crazy and I'd called the police at the same time but when this person came and took my kids away it flashed through my head are they gonna see their parents again I have never been scared in my life until that moment I'm very privileged I'm lucky I've never felt actual fear we just wanted to get away which we did we literally loaded up a u-haul a big truck and drove everything we owned out in a u-haul to the middle of the desert and it sat there for two weeks while well, we stayed with people, we rented an RV and drove around. We had nowhere to go because we couldn't find another property to rent. So we kind of hoped our truck full of all of our things was still in the desert when we went back, but luckily it was. But I didn't ever investigate further than that comment that was made to me because I couldn't have been responsible for someone else being harmed. I just couldn't have done it. Yeah. it's not
1: the type of person you are. I understand.
0: And, you know, I've told that story, Casey, to someone else, and they said, it's your duty, they said to me, it's your duty. You need to stop this happening to other people. You need to make sure that that person never does anything ever again. And I was like, I just got to protect my kids, actually, is what I need to do.
1: If uh, if someone you loved was, was in imminent danger or had been taken, do you think you'd try to contact me?
0: You know, when I was scared for my family, if that happened today, Casey, where I was threatened by someone who used to turn up at my door with a gun and be threatening, and he had keys to my house where my kids were sleeping, I'd call you and say help. Because I didn't know where to go or what to do. Because my own house that I should have felt safe in was the one place where I didn't feel safe. And if only for you to come and stand outside my front door so I could pack my things and leave, I would have felt safe.
1: You know, Sam, the world is a wonderful and beautiful and incredible place. But some weeds grow in those gardens and sometimes you just gotta weed them out, Sam. Doesn't mean the garden's bad just means that weeds can suck the life out of the good plants when you pull a weed Sam you don't cry over it
0: so what's your advice to parents because I guess people think well if I get worried about being hit by a bus I'll never leave the house and there might be people thinking yeah that is traumatizing so therefore I'm never going to leave the house with my kids because if there's that many bad guys out there how the heck do I deal with it what do you say to them
1: well, you shouldn't live in fear nobody should I mean life does happen right but you can be productive I mean you want to put pictures of your kid on your Facebook account great but be smart enough to use a regular camera and I'm telling you I mean there's two cases that I I got kids back that were taken because they were located off of a Facebook account by photos so you know you need to be aware of your surroundings you need to be aware of what your children are doing on the computers And you need to just try to be the best parent you can be. Don't live in fear, but live in reality.
0: What are your hopes for the future of this country?
1: Honestly, what for people to just realize that we're all Americans. All that politically corrupt shit needs to just go away and people need to quit pecking at little itty bitty stuff that doesn't matter and start applying all that energy into bringing unity to my country. Because if all the division stuff goes away, and and the country truly starts to unify, that would be my wish.
0: Do you think people are more afraid today than they used to be? Is there more fear around?
1: People and animals are afraid of the unknown. Anything different. It's a self-preservation thing. So I wouldn't call it fear. I would call it a lack of education on a lot of things. Fear's your best friend. God gives you fear the same reason he gives you scabs. So you heal. You, you get a cut, that cut's going to be open and bleeding, but if there's no scab, it ain't never going to heal. And when it heals, what's left? There's a scar, isn't there? But that spot on you right there, it's tougher than it was before you cut it. Fear's the same way. Fear does a wonderful thing for you. Fear creates adrenaline. Adrenaline makes you fast and it makes you strong and it makes you smart. And it makes your hearing work better. It makes your eyesight better. Adrenaline turns you superhuman. If only for a few minutes or a half an hour, adrenaline turns you into an incredible thing and you couldn't get an adrenaline without a little bit of fear. So, it's okay to be afraid. And you push through that fear, and that's where you find courage. Courage just means that you walked through fear and did what you needed to do. I was terrified this one time to this teacher, I had to face a a man that, that was phenomenally strong. This was in high school. And he was big and strong. And I mean, he had, he's that guy you can see every muscle in his body. He was just a just a rock. And I had to face this guy, and I was terrified. And this one teacher, it started at the beginning of class, and he, he saw my face that morning. And this was the day I was going to have to face this guy on a, on a wrestling mat. And he says, what's wrong with you today? I said, I'm scared. And the whole class is sitting there. And he goes, let me tell you something. And he had the day's lesson on the chalkboard. I'll never forget this for the rest of my life. He walks up there with the eraser, one of them big erasers, and he erased that whole chalkboard with the entire day's lesson on there. And he took a, a, a third of that chalkboard, and in huge letters, like 12 inches tall, he writes, Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man. Sooner or later, the man who wins. Is the one who thinks he can. He wrote that, those very words, that day, and I memorized them. When I stepped out on that mat that day, I gave everything I had. I won. I won with only a few seconds left in the last round, but I won. And I wasn't stronger than him, and I wasn't faster than him, but I faced my demons. So it doesn't matter who you are, how big you are, how small you are. All you've got to do is face your demons and you'll make a difference. And if you only make a difference in one person's life, in your entire life, only one person, you've probably done more than just about everybody in this world. Face your demons.
0: Do you worry about dying?
1: Never. Not even once. I've lived the warrior's code my whole life, and I I don't think I'd like anything more than to die by it.
0: Where do you want your final resting place to be? What, What plans do you have in place?
1: If I had a choice, I would want somebody that I love to walk me up into the mountains and just let me sit there and die. That would be what I'd want. Just leave me alone with nature and let me become part of it and bury me on that spot. But I doubt I'll get that choice.
0: This is our final conversation. We've never met. We've talked for hours and hours and hours and hours. You've opened... The door to a world I didn't know existed. You know, it's been a, it's been a crazy summer. Um,
1: yeah, a little unique,
0: huh? Yeah. So, what next, Casey? I
1: don't know, Sam. I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know personally what you feel about me or your husband feels about me because, you know, I. I know that you guys have to talk about this stuff. I'm sure you've got off that mic several times and been crying. And, you know, if he's any kind of a husband, he's definitely giving you a hug and the shoulder, wiped the snot off your nose. But uh, I would hope that one day, one day we could meet. Of course, if the, the look of my face doesn't traumatize you too bad, we might even sit down and have lunch or coffee or something.
0: You trust me enough to do that?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not like I would broadcast when I was going to show up or where I was going to show up, but <laughs> if I knew you were receptive to that, I'd I'd make it known in a short time before I was going to get there that I was going to be in the area and, and let you know. Yeah. But I sure wouldn't get hold of a network and put it all over the internet, whether it was two weeks, two months, or two years from now, it'd just be one of those things that one of these days I'd be like, hey, Sam, you know, (laughs) you want to grab a cup of joe?
0: (laughs) So, this definitely is it, the last time Casey and I speak. I suppose you want me to tell you exactly what I believe and don't believe. Well, it's not that simple. If I were to get a call next week with some compelling evidence that Casey is in fact a bus driver... Do you know, it wouldn't be outside the realms of possibility. But if you were equally to tell me that actually he works for the White House and it goes all the way to the president, again, I could probably accept that too. I just don't know. Do I feel differently about him from the very first time we spoke? Undoubtedly. Do I believe that he has rescued kidnapped children and found criminals? Yeah, I do. Do I believe everything he's told me 100%? No. Did he frustrate me, upset me, make me angry? Yeah, he did many times. But did he also make me laugh and surprise me with moments of kindness and compassion? Yes to that too. And I know that you feel the same way looking at some of the many messages you've sent me over the past few weeks. Messages like, why didn't you call him out more on some of the stories he told you and get him to verify more facts? Well, you know, the very nature of what he does means there isn't going to be a record of it. And you Google kidnapped child return to parents America and see what you come up with. And, you know, if I'd said to him, oh, come on, every time he said something that I thought, really, he would have walked away without a doubt. There would be no series, which kind of leads me into the second set of questions and comments which fall under the I need to know if Casey is the real deal and whether he's the good guy or the bad guy. And these are ones I find most interesting. Because today we live in such a binary world. All of us are under massive pressure to state our position on just about everything from politics to religion to COVID, you name it. You must take sides. You must nail your colors to the mast. And I don't think that's always possible or helpful. And throughout all my time talking to KC, I have thought how hard it is to sit and stay in that grey area in the I don't know zone and I don't know what I do know is I approach this project with the view that it's so unusual in today's world to sit down and talk with someone who comes from a very different culture to you has differences in their values and purposes to the ones that you hold and just talk to them and more importantly listen. How rare is that in this 256-character culture that we find ourselves in? In terms of his veracity, well, again, I don't have a definitive answer. Things I would point out, though, are for the hours that Casey and I talked, he wasn't reading from anything. We had stops and starts and we went off on tangents and he always jumped right back into the story, even if it was weeks apart. Remember, two things can be true. Casey could be a vigilante and a great storyteller. Would you believe him more if he was less eloquent? And finally, you've asked, have you met Casey? Would you like to? And the answer there is no, not yet. We have not met. And what do they say? To really understand someone, walk a mile in their shoes. So maybe that's the next step deep breath to actually meet this man, see his home how he lives his life, maybe even meet his team or watch him within reason in action I don't know although he did often scare me and make me uncomfortable you can't talk to someone intensely for more than 60 hours over several months and not form a connection with them
1: I want to give you a sincere apology. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I'm sorry for bringing you into my world because I know it has affected you and your family. It's a whole different world once you know these things. So my apology to you is sincere.
0: It feels weird that this is one of the final times we're going to speak.
1: It's been nice. I think you'd be a good friend, Sam. And uh, I do pray for you and your family. That might may or may not mean anything to you, but, but I do.
0: Take care, Casey.
1: Take care, Sam. Love you, Sam.
0: American Vigilante is a Crowd Network original. It's presented by me, Sam Walker. It was produced by Phil Brown and Steve Jones. The executive producer for Crowd is Mike Carr. Associate producer for Stirway Entertainment is Jeff Singer. The music we used is from our partners, BMG Production Music. If you'd like another Crowd podcast to listen to, try We Didn't Start the Fire. It's a modern history podcast inspired by the lyrics of Billy Joel covering JFK, Vietnam, Watergate, North Korea, Stalin, Einstein, Castro, Marilyn Monroe, and plenty in between. There's a new episode every Monday as they explore the post-war world and try and work out why the world is like it is today. Search for We Didn't Start the Fire in your podcast app.
3: Crowd network, a place where you belong.
1: So, when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality.
3: That's how a scam begins convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house.
4: I get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out, and I can no longer do anything about
3: it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts people who run the
1: cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper.
3: It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.
1: Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to
2: give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. Creeping, don't
3: follow it
2: down.
3: Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity.
2: He was a very
3: knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending
2: over backwards to help you.
3: Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy And you'd be right Well, right up until the point when you're wrong
2: It was all fictitious You stole from my son who has a disability
3: Chris never knew He died believing that we're all taken care of
2: A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things actually
3: to find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering, what happened? Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the
1: inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com
4: Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I
3: Come play with us.